circle, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high. Listeners, welcome to Full Circle. Full Circle is a cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. We broadcast from Huchen, occupied Ohlone territory, also known as Berkeley, California, in the San Francisco East Bay. Tonight we bring you sound from two of the wonderful community events that take place consistently in the Bay Area. First, we'll hear from attendees and participants at East Oakland's Malcolm X Jazz Arts Festival. Then we'll hear from organizations at the 2023 Berkeley Juneteenth Festival. On both days, the wind was very much present with us, so you'll hear some of that in our recordings. Please stay with us. Welcome back to Full Circle. We'll start our visit to the community with reflections from visitors to the Malcolm X Jazz Arts Festival. First Voice graduate Deanna Martinez begins by talking with Kat Brooks, host of Law and Disorder, which airs here on KPFA. Let's listen. My name is Diana Martinez, and I am an apprentice. I graduate apprentice at KPFA, and we are here at San Antonio Park, Malcolm X Jazz Festival, and we are going to talk to people about this festival and the meaning for people in Oakland and the neighborhoods. My name is Kat Brook. It's Malcolm X Jazz Fest. Like I was trying to explain to my sister who just moved here, like it's our family reunion, right? It's when you get to see the people you haven't been able to see, you get to catch up, you get to sit down. It's not in the middle of all the work and the trauma and the grind that is the social justice work of Oakland. Um, but this year is even more important, right? Because this is like the first one outdoor really big post COVID. And so like there's literally people, I've only been here 20 minutes and I've seen people I haven't seen in years. Um, it is our opportunity to say that we're still here. This is a mostly black and brown, right, an indigenous folks event. I'm excited the evolution of APTP is seen here through our healing justice portal and people are getting free healing justice services. We need this. It's an exhale. Art and music and friends and family and loved ones. Like I very rarely go outside now because it's exhausting, but like I had to get here so I could just be in community. Thank you, Kat. We love you. Hello, my name is Julian Carroll, and uh, I'm a jazz historian and an archivist. And I come to the Malcolm X Festival every year to support their great work for a community of all colors of people. I was at the first one when they were passing around coffee cans to build what they call today the East Side Cultural Center. And through this festival, over the years, the people have come. It's a free festival. It's one of the few free festivals left. The Chicago Jazz Festival is one of the free festivals, and Detroit has a free festival. But this festival is the longest-running uh, free festival on the West Coast. 
Greg Morizumi and Elena did everything to bring peace and comfort to this community and healing this community through this jazz festival. And every time I come here, I feel like I'm at a hospital because all the people here are get, get along, they understand the vibration, and they're also here to represent Malcolm X's legacy, which is the legacy of black Americans and African Americans in the United States. So that's what it means to me every year that our history is being preserved, our children have activities for them to be a part of it, and everyone is included, and that's rare. So jazz is true, it's all inclusive. Thank you, Deanna, Kat, and Julian. Now we'll hear from Ebony Johnson of the Black Organizing Project. Greetings, my name is Ebony Cinnamon Johnson. I'm with the Black Organizing Project. And we're out here at the Jazz Festival to be in solidarity, obviously, in Malcolm X's honor and in the honor of, you know, all of the beautiful organizations and culture that African people, black people bring to this city and really to the world. Specifically, we're here today to let people know about the work that we're doing um, to hold the Oakland Unified School District accountable for making sure that they're resourcing our schools properly. Back in 2020, uh, the Black Organizing Project had won a 10-year campaign to eliminate school police. We led community you know, through that campaign to eliminate the school police department that the district was paying millions of dollars for. And part of the resolution, which we called the George Floyd Resolution, was for the district to put that money back into the schools in particular ways. Very specifically, we did a bunch of listening sessions. We heard people, parents, students, staff. Everyone is saying primarily that we need people, more people, caring adults present on school campuses. And of course, we need resources. And so some of the things that we're saying is we need, you know, family, excuse me, family liaisons at every single school. Every school deserves and should have a school nurse. Every single school should have restorative justice practitioners. Um, and the list goes on. We also have really promoted a community-driven decision-making process about how the funding is used, about how the implementation process, policies, protocols get implemented. And the district has supported some of those things and not supported many of those things. And right now, we're in the process of needing, we created a $57 million budget for these resources to be put back into the schools, and we need the school board to pass this budget. Right now, we're in the process of trying to get this budget on the agenda for the school board meeting to do a read of the budget and also vote on it and we're having trouble with um, certain school board members not wanting to do that, not wanting to promote, actually allowing people to hear and decide how money should be spent, how the implementation of the George Floyd resolution should actually look. And so we're, we're wanting people to sign these pledges. We've got pledges out here for people who do support. You know, a lot of folks went to, through the schools. There's a lot of you know, kids that are in the schools right now, but there's a lot of folks that for generations have been going through OUSD and know how the school district has failed, specifically black students and families. And so we wanna make sure that people are clear about what's happening and can say like, yeah, we support reinvesting into the schools in the way that community has said. And so we have these pledges that we're asking people to sign. And we are also wanting folks to be really clear that when we have the school board meeting, we need people to come out. So we, we don't know exactly what school board meeting the vote will happen at, but we only have a few school board meetings left. and so. We're going to be calling on people to come, show up, use your voice, really speak to your experiences and to what you know children's, children and families deserve.
So there are no police in the schools at the present time? Yeah, so the Oakland Unified School District had its own police department. The Oakland School Police Department was eliminated. So they've melted their weapons down. There are no more police officers placed on school campuses. That department was shut down. All of the policies that OUSD had that answered to school police have been eliminated and shifted. The school security officers who um, that's what they formerly were called, you know, and they're, you know, just com mostly community members who are, you know, placed on campus to provide um, a layer of security to schools. They used to answer to the school police. They have now been rebranded to be culture keepers because they're really about, you know, building culture, really taking a relational approach to getting to know really the whole, the entire school community and using that relationship the positive, healthy relationship to, to grow safety. Because we know safety is really about, like, we know it's about resources, we know it's about healthy relationships, and so we want to make sure that that's what we're promoting in the policies, in the positions, and certainly in the resources and the funding. And so, you know, that's a lot, a lot of what our work has been. It's been, um, yeah, like going through a process of changing the infrastructure within the school district that was, that is very punitive, that has been very punitive, and that was, you know, continuing to push students out. Yet, there's still so much more work to be done. And one of the one piece of that work is for them to actually put the money where it should be. I mean, uh, uh, you know, they're they're putting 57 million in into redesigning, or I, I guess they're they're trying to pay for another administrative building. They're they're getting out of the current building, 1,000 Broadway, which was a ridiculous amount of money. But they're saying they have enough money to spend 57 million on a building. But why not put 57 million into various resources? And and that and we're and this is really like we are very also very clear that 57 million is not enough to actually fund healthy schools. Period. We know that it takes more than that. But we're saying at minimum, right? At minimum, every school should have a nurse. You know, quick cutting um, positions every single year. They're also cutting so many special education positions, and still there's a lot of push out of black disabled students even now. You know, even though we don't have the school police, and to me, I mean, not just to me, to us, we're very clear that this is an indication that resources have been needed, whether the police were there or not. The gaps in programming, the gaps in resourcing were a problem. They've been a problem. And so now, you know, more police is very clearly exposed. So we need to address that problem. And there are resources. There is funding. There are people. You know, and so we want the district to be accountable to what people are saying that they need. We know what we need. Let our listeners know how they can contact your organization. Yes, so we are on Instagram or on Facebook. We also have a website. So if you follow Black Organizing Project on Instagram, also look us up on Facebook under Black Organizing Project. And you can go to our website, blackorganizingproject.org. Um, and you can reach us. I'm also ebony at blackorganizingproject.org. That's my email, literally my name, ebony at blackorganizingproject.org. You can also email me directly and get more information. Anything else you'd like to add? You know, I guess just that the Black Organizing Project is an organization that's here really in the spirit of black power. And we want to really portray the message that we know that black people are empowered when we're together, and we just really want to be a resource for that. And that's really our, our main purpose in the schools. We listen to our community. We listen to people saying what they need, and we are, are being responsive to those needs with our budget, with um, all of our work that we're trying to do. And we need help, really. We need more people to 
you know, join us in pushing the school district, but not even just that. Like, we need more folks to just join the, the work of organizing black people to come together and, and support one another. We have a black parent group. We have a um, political education group that folks can get involved in. And so we have some spaces and we need, we need support with cultivating more spaces. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. That was Ebony Johnson of the Black Organizing Project speaking with me, Miss M, at the 2023 Malcolm X Jazz Festival. Now we hear from the Friends of San Antonio Park. Hello everyone, my name is Mia. I'm a neighbor here in San Antonio Park and I'm here representing Friends of San Antonio Park. This is a coalition of various organizations that serve the needs of the community, which includes Eastside Arts Alliance, Tribe, Vertical Skills, um, Lotus Bloom, and um, the Parent Action Research Team, among others. Tell us a little bit about what your organization does, please. Yeah, so this coalition came together in 2001 um, in response to a proposal to have a fire department, the new fire station in the park, and many neighbors did not want that, and that this was actually ignoring calls for more opportunities for nonprofits and services to be in the community that they didn't feel that the fire station would meet. So through hosting, this organic sort of coalition came together to collect neighbors' responses and sort of drafts in opposition to that proposal. And so the group came together and noticed and knowing that we needed people to be able to steward this community vision um, and continue to engage with city officials and the community to ensure that um, we didn't have a fire station but actually what came from those conversations was a community library and resilience center that could do both of providing direct services like food services in addition to having a library, arts performing um, and also other things for young folks, seniors, etc. Tell me who are the recipients or who can benefit from these services? Um, well, the goal would be for everybody to be able to have open and public a um, access, and so that's why we are we wanted to partner with the library, right? And that, um, especially in the pandemic, notice, knowing that the library's public model um, allowed access to everybody, right? You didn't have to pay for any of these services, and we felt that was very important to both activate through services, but also making sure that anyone who would like them would be able to utilize them. Tell our listeners, please, how they can avail themselves of your services or learn more, get more information about your services. Yes, um, so great question, thank you. So um, the coalition, we're actually gonna be hosting an event. We're gonna be talking about the work that we've done and the next steps in that in the Mayor Shengtao's preliminary budget. They've proposed uh, $4 million to help us begin this vision for a community library and res uh, resilience center. Uh, but knowing that that's a far off plan and that we're gonna continue to need community support and engagement to ensure that that vision comes to fruition. Um, so you can find us at friendsofsanantoniopark.org. Um, um, and you can have all of our email contact information and we encourage people to sign up to our newsletters so that when we have um, activations or attend city meetings, people can join us there and, and voice their opinion and be heard. Great, is there anything else that you'd like to add that you want listeners to know? Um, again, I think it's just this This coalition is really a testament to what happens when community meets together, hears each other, and works together. And so we want to continue sort of cultivating that spirit of supporting diverse communities, but also bringing people together and mobilizing and activating them. And that's why we're able to experience incredible events like this at the Malcolm X um, Jazz Festival. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, speaking with me.
That was Kelvin Keyes playing What's Going On. You're listening to Full Circle on KPFA in 94.1 FM or online at kpfa.org. Now we hear from Pierre Leboisier about what's happening with the Haiti Action Committee and the meaning of the Malcolm X Festival to him. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I'm here at Malcolm X Grassroots Festival. My name is Pierre Labossier. I'm a co-founder of the Haiti Action Committee and the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. And what we do is we support the struggle of the people of Haiti, the struggle for national liberation. So the Haiti Action Committee does a lot of the work of publicity, organizing, um, actions in solidarity with the people of Haiti, spreading the word about the movement. Because, and I want to send a big shout out to KPFA for being there with us in this and spreading the word about what truly is going on, because we are not getting it from the corporate media. But uh, also uh, with the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, people who donate funds, they go directly to grassroots organizations in Haiti. Our brothers and sisters are trying to rebuild their lives and to continue the work of uh, rebuilding Haiti. First we have to liberate and as we rebuild it. So that's the work of the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. And I want to say a big thank you to the many contributors in the Bay Area, many of the people who have supported us because literally brothers and sisters here and the listeners of KPFA have saved lives in Haiti and are part of the rebuilding process. And today I'm here to say thank you to Brother Malcolm X. You know, this is such a man I admire. I learned a lot of my English reading Malcolm X Speaks and some of his speeches, which really, at the time I was very young, came to the U.S., didn't know English. I used a French-English dictionary, and, and he, he just blew my mind, opened my mind, and um, I'm so thankful to have had uh, this opportunity to read Brother Malcolm, and that's why I... I'm there whenever it's something to do with Brother Malcolm X. I'm here to pay tribute and say thank you, Brother Malcolm. <laughs> and so here I am saying thank you again to the listeners of KPFA. Thank you to you for this opportunity. Please share with our listeners the current situation that people in Haiti are facing. Yes, it's, it's a very dire situation. What we are seeing, it's a lot of, uh, it's, it's the coup. There was a coup against President Aristide in 2004, and the year of the bicentennial of Haiti's independence. And President Aristide was doing the work of the people. The people had elected him, had drafted him to run for office. Uh, and his party political organization, the platform of Famila Valas, was to build schools, to build houses, to provide clean drinking water for the people, provide our farmers with the tools that they needed to build uh, local agricultural production. And also Haiti was reaching out to be working strongly with CARICOM, with the African countries, with brothers and sisters in the US. So we were on our way to pull Haiti out of the morass of the misery that the US, that US imperialism had put Haiti, has been putting Haiti through since 1915 when the U.S. first invaded Haiti. So Brother Aristide was overthrown in a bloody coup. It was a kidnapping coup d'etat against him and against members of his party. And so since that time, the people of Haiti have never accepted the coup. So people have been fighting. 
they've been in the streets, they've been demonstrating. So now what has been unleashed against them since the coup actually, it's been a regime of terror. Terror campaign by various different heads of state, all of them put in power by the US and UN occupation. It's been 19 years of a United States, United Nations occupation. And the conditions have steadily gotten worse and worse and worse for our brothers and sisters. The economy has gone downhill. Local production of food has been totally curtailed. They have unleashed a bunch of what they call gangs in the corporate media, but they are nothing but death squads. And death squads similar to the Tonton Marcouts of Duvalier. And they are killing brothers and sisters, the organizers in the unions. They are destroying communities, burning people alive. A massive campaign of terror taking place to force the people to flee their land so they could take those lands and also to um, get rid of the community organizers. A number of brothers and sisters organizing in the factories where they get starvation wages. They are being, they are being killed as well. There was a demonstration about May 10 for 11 by the workers in the factories, in the sweatshops. The police brutally attacked them. And so that's what we are seeing. The police working in collaboration with those death squads, so-called gangs, to terrorize our people. But our people have been, have been just added. They have been added. And I put a call for solidarity for brothers and sisters all over the world, particularly in the Bay Area. To, to not to fall for the hype, not to fall for the lies of, oh, these are gangs and what have you. These are death squads associated, affiliated with the state, with the government apparatus to terrorize people and take over their property and their lands and, and, and carry out all kinds of campaign of terror. But the people are not letting up, and so the movement is going strong. We just finished about a, a month long, I would say three weeks of mobilization in solidarity with the people of Haiti. And so to let people know the reality of what's been going on. Uh, it was in England, people were um, doing solidarity activities with Haiti. It was right here in the Bay Area, in Atlanta. We had people in Belize, people in Guyana, Global Women's Strike in Philadelphia and um, LA, San Pedro. I mean, quite a number of places. Uh, I mentioned Atlanta earlier, so I'm forgetting a couple of places, so people should forgive me. But those who couldn't show up physically were doing, actually spreading the word through the internet and then calling the White House. So it was a series of activities to say no to what the U.S. to the U.S. policy of Haiti. We want an end to the Ariel Henry dictatorship. The Haitian people have mobilized to get rid of Ariel Henry but he's still in power because the U.S. is financing him. And all the weapons the U.S. is sending to the Haitian police are actually being used against the people of Haiti and making their way into the so-called gangs who are the death squads. That's how they are getting a lot of their weapons to shoot at the people and to terrorize them. So it's a very serious situation. But people are determined. I just spoke to a couple of um, brothers and sisters earlier today and we were discussing Malcolm X, as a matter of fact. And uh, their spirit keeps me going. Their spirit uplifts me. I said, man, how can I feel discouraged when they are right there in, you know, dealing in the jaws of the terror, dealing with it on a daily basis, not knowing if they'll be alive the next day. 
and they are they are determined to fight on. So we have to stand in solidarity with them until we win the victory. How can our listeners contact or get more information about what the committee is doing? Yes, people can contact us at HaitiSolidarity.net. That's our website, HaitiSolidarity.net. And if people want to make a donation, people or see the work that we are doing, the organizations we are supporting on the ground, they can contact HaitiEmergencyRelief.org. HaitiEmergencyRelief.org. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you, Pierre. Up next, we hear more reflections from participants at the 2023 Malcolm X Jazz Arts Festival. My name is Raymond Pisano. This is, I think, probably one of the most enjoyable and creative festivals that we have in the city. And it happens to be close to where I live, so that's pretty cool, too. But it's just amazing. I mean, the collection of people that come to participate, just seeing everybody, like, just just getting along and and, uh, all the different communities. I just love it. I try to come every year. So the meaning of this day to you and your neighborhood? Well, you know, Malcolm had a message when he was when he was with us. And, you know, this is like a continuation of that. You know, it's like we've got to fight for the liberation of, uh, of all people. And this festival is a representation, I think, of liberation of the peoples that have struggled for, you know, many, many, many decades, centuries. So, yeah, so to me, that, that's what it means. Share with us what your feelings are about the Malcolm X Jazz Arts Festival. Well, today my feelings are joy. I'm glad to see the festival back in action. I'm glad to look around and see so many of our community here. You know, this is a festival that's been sorely missed for the past couple of years. You know, my my feelings about it, for one, have to do with Malcolm X himself, El Haj Malik El Shabazz. This is our chance as a community to get a chance to celebrate him and in some way reflect what we've learned from him. So I really appreciate that. And again, I'm, I'm glad that it's happening once again. You know. Hey, so really, I mean, I, the main reason I came today was just to say hi to Greg Morizumi, who helped kick this Malcolm X Jazz Festival off 20-something years ago. His health ain't doing so good, but he was able to come out here and enjoy the festivities, and I wanted to just come by and support him. So that, that's like my main reason for being here. But I'm also really happy and proud that there is a Malcolm X Jazz Festival because Malcolm X still is a shining light on this world today. Like the, the kind of rhetoric that the analysis that Malcolm was putting out how many years ago, like people are just beginning to accept it today. So far ahead of his time and so needed. The stuff that he was putting out, like we need that now more than ever. And, you know, it's it's wonderful because Malcolm X got painted as this angry character, but Malcolm was a, a jazz artist in the greatest sense of the word. You know, like he was uh, bringing um, the love out onto the planet in a, in a way that um, was fierce and bold and uh, down to the very roots. And it's great that we can keep Malcolm X alive in our hearts and we gotta keep holding that up. Especially now in this day and age when they're trying to erase histories. Now that 
people are finally beginning to be aware of black history and the way that this country was founded upon the backs of black people and the, the genocide of native people. The country is just beginning to wake up to that. Uh, we see in response to that the radical, ugly, racist, right-wing, corporate, capitalist kind of response, which is to wipe that history away so people can't hear about it. So yeah, Malcolm X was love, love, love. Malcolm was black love, black revolutionary love. We need to hold his light up for ourselves and for the world. Thank you, Raymond, Greg, and Carl. And now we hear from a stalwart member of the Eastside Arts Alliance Collective, Phil Hutchins. I think we were trying to get ourselves known as people who were interested in the arts, politics, the connection, and getting a lot of youth involved. At the same time, we felt it was important that we were in a certain neighborhood that personified the politics of what we, we stood for. And so the, the area, which is called the San Antonio District, especially the lower San Antonio, where we are around 14th Street, is seen as poor, as predominantly African-American, Latino, and increasingly Southeast Asian. So th these were like three of the communities of color that we really wanted to uh, empower and bring first-class writers, first-class speakers on different neighborhood and urban topics. And, and connect some of the struggles so that you, you, you get out of your own silo and we can have something like what we have here today at, at the park where we have young people, middle class people, poor people, and, uh, and, and, and folks from the hood, you know, all right together. And, and, and you don't see any cops hardly anywhere, which is things that emphasize young people who are playing a larger and larger role in, in organizing this, and that's rare. So, um, and, and just being able to hear, hear them speaking Spanish right there and other languages right around shows that, I mean, we haven't finished and we're not totally successful, but there's more work to do, be done, and we're such trying to set a, a space at the na neighborhood table for, for all groups. We have to work with some of the homeless people yet to be done and uh, work with some of the uh, predominantly Southeast Asian refugees and stuff and, and um, kind of bring the links between Chinatown, Little Vietnam, and the Fruitvale all together within the San Antonio district. And so we try to do artwork because art, we found art and music and culture are particularly effective in catching both the attention and the interest of young people. Have you seen any changes in either how the organization has developed or the neighborhoods since you've been working with them? Any changes in what? Any changes either in the neighborhood or in the organization since you've been active with it? I haven't seen too much changes that much in the organizations. There's a fair amount of change in the neighborhood, particularly in terms of building uh, structures, new people coming in. So we're getting more of a broader population. 
right now is even harder just to find a parking space. And there's, a, there's some problem a little bit with this construction because it's just construction keeps cuts down on parking, and so people say, "Well, it's too much trouble to get, to get go over there where that is." You know? But we're trying to have kind of a law of interest, have interesting speakers and programs that people will say, "Oh, well, we'll go anyway," you know, kind of thing. I'm seeing a wee bit of gentrification. Is that happening in the neighborhood? Yes, it is, and there's going to be more. But that's why we're trying to build in the community as it is and it was when we first got there, so that people know that there are people on their side, they have their back, and, and, and they'll struggle with them to stay. I mean, our whole, our whole plan is that the, 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 ma the major fight against justification is just that don't move, stay and fight. We don't have to give up our rights just because new people with maybe slightly more money are moving in. I mean, what's happened also, which you know, was COVID, and that basically, stopped a lot of people coming from places all over the Bay Area. So people are just beginning to go back to places they were before. Some places are not reopening, and, and so there's the question of space and landlords who are jacking up rents and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, I, I belong to a group called Casa Justa, just Cause Oakland. And that's one of the things we wanted to fight is, is a way that people who have lived in Oakland all their lives, particularly in East Oakland, you know, have the right to stay here as things get, in theory, better. And that's where the fight is, whether it's around education, what, what the school board and the teachers have been going through to stop all these schools from, from getting closed all the time, particularly in black and brown communities. Because if there's no schools in the community, uh, there's, there's not a real future for people who live there. Have you seen any difference in how things are operating in Oakland since there's a new mayor in office currently? You're the third person who's asked me that in, th in about three days. By and large, no. And then the, the negotiation with, with the A's, which a lot of our people were opposed to anyway. You know, we, we didn't think it. So we weren't sad about that because they wanted too much for city money to go into rich people's owners' pockets. So Las Vegas could have that. Uh, but the question is, we don't want this to be a, a vacuum, you know, for no sports at all, professional sports. I mean, the, I mean Oakland, the baseball, football, and of course the Warriors. And so all of a sudden we're losing all these teams. If people want to become active in or participate in or contribute to the Eastside Arts Alliance or Eastside Cultural Center, how can they do that? Well, uh, we're a 501c3 nonprofit, and that's one way. Anything else you'd like to add? Well, I think the struggle is, all, is still just beginning. And it happens on different levels with new leadership. Because sometimes they have a new program. I mean, like she wants to, uh, the mayor wants to have two new schools for policemen. Because we we're law in the police force. And so that's going to be a, a big fight around the budget where people think that that money could go for something else. So um, 
I think because the city council has a fair number of new people on it, new, new, leaders, new leaders will arise. Some of them look pretty good, young and active and stuff like that. And so, uh, and some of the people who've been here forever got, got defeated. Thank you so much for speaking with us today. Glad to do it. KPFA is a great station, and I, I hope it finds ways to, to, just to survive. These fundraising appeals, that, I mean, campaigns are on are, are really rough. And um, I personally think they need to find a, a better way to fundraise. I think that they've got to find ways to involve the community more. Thank you so much for talking with us. That was Phil Hutchins, a long-term member of the Eastside Arts Alliance Collective.
That was music by pianist Musiki Robertson, who passed away a few years ago, but his talent was commemorated at this year's Malcolm X Festival. He's been one of the most respected musicians in the Bay Area, and he thrived in some of the most challenging and creative environments the Bay Area jazz scene has to offer. For years, he was the keyboardist for the jazz-funk Latin poetry group Mingus Among Us, and for 12 years, he was the keyboard player and music director for the San Francisco Mime Troupe. Now we hear from Joy Moore, our Full Circle Production Consultant, as she engages participants at the Berkeley Juneteenth Celebration. All right, we're here at Juneteenth, and I just met this wonderful woman with a great Juneteenth Independence Day t-shirt on. Can you tell me who you are and how you got here? Well, my name is Monica Scott, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. But the reason I'm here today is because I'm working in front of Black Repertory Group, where my grandmother, Nora Vaughn, founded over 60 years ago. So I'm out here talking to the people, getting folks signed up for summer camp, getting children signed up and letting folks know about our season. We're out of COVID, and we are back. Great. So tell me a little bit more, uh, more about Miss Vaughn. Miss Vaughn, as I said, was my grandmother and she was a force to be reckoned with. She started the Black Repertory Group out of the church. Um, she wanted a place, she said it wasn't really a theater, it was a place to build self-esteem for uh, people in the community, and you could learn anything. You could learn set design, you could learn how to act, you could learn how to drum. It was really about empowering our people in this community. And is the um, Black Repertory Theater functioning now? Yes, it is. We are back. We are back in full force. I mean, we had some stuff during COVID where we, we were online, but now we're back and present. Folks can come in and um, see some shows. Now tell me um, a little bit of the work you're doing with the youth. So the work we're doing with the youth, we're having our summer camp and youth can come in and say they don't want to act. Maybe they want to learn how to play some drums or maybe they want to learn set design or different arts. There is a spot for everybody. And for instance, a play, like one time we did Princess of the Frog. It's not one person who gets the lead. Everybody rotates through. So everybody gets a time to shine and learn about theater arts. And you mentioned that you're a clinical therapist. Can you talk a little bit about that work? Yes, um, I am in private practice in um, downtown Berkeley, and my um, practice is called Abundant Life Therapy. Um, but I am very proud to be linked with Roots Community Health, which is in East Oakland, um, led by uh, Dr. Noha Abaleta. And um, we are serving folks from all walks of life. We actually have a specific program to serve folks who are formerly incarcerated, launching them back into positive lifestyle, housing, and everything. Thank you so much. What ages can come to your summer camp? They can start as young as five, so five to 18. Okay, so can you tell us how people can contact you? 
So to contact me, since I have three different things I just shared with you, if you want to contact me for my private practice, my number is 510-393-8121. If you would like to participate and gain services from Roots Community Health, their number is 510-777-1177. And uh, for Black Repertory Group, if you want to sign up your children in um, camp, it is 510-652-2120. Thank you so much. Did you want to share anything else with us today? I'm just so blessed that I met you. <laughs> and I'm just having a good time out here being amongst our people. It's a beautiful day, and um, this is just just black love <laughs> thank you so much all right we are still on our journey at juneteenth and we have met up with joseph whitaker aka healthy joe nutrition services public health how are you doing today i'm doing well so glad that you can join us so tell us about the work you're doing here today well what we have here set up is called soda free summer which now evolved to rethink your dream Basically what we want to do is bring to the community, let them know about the disadvantages of drinking sugary beverages and health risks. Along with that, we bring different cookbooks, soul food, fresh twist, Asian cuisine, and Latino meals, emphasizing the consumption of fruits and vegetables. None of the recipes have any added sauce and sugars because we want you to, to live long and prosperous. And as I said, my name is Joseph Whitaker, AKA Healthy Joe. Contact me. My email address is joseph.whitaker at acgov.org. Joseph is spelled J O S E P H dot W H I T T A K E R at acgov.org. My telephone number is 510 268 4207. So we're still at Juneteenth, but fortunately we made it inside of the office of Trevor Jacobson. He's an outreach coordinator, Easy Does It Emergency Services. Thank you for joining us, Trevor. Awesome, thank you for having me. So tell us about Easy Does It Emergency Services. Easy Does It Emergency Services is a Berkeley-based nonprofit that helps Berkeley seniors and people with disabilities with affordable wheelchair repair, attendant care, and accessible transportation. We also offer emergency roadside assistance to uh, most of Alameda County with our FASTER program. So if your device breaks down, we can come to you. We can try to fix the device on the spot. And if we can't fix the device, we can get you where you're going. It's all free of charge and funded by the Alameda County Transportation Commission. Excellent. So um, tell me a little bit about why you're here at Juneteenth today. Easy Does It has a long history with the Juneteenth Festival. It's actually a before my time with the company but I mean it's a really important now federal holiday and yeah we're here to show our support uh, and we're here to get out there and reach out to the community and make sure they know our service is there for them. Okay. So how long have you been working with Easy Does It Trevor and tell us a little bit more just about what you do. So I've been here two years now when I started I was the marketing coordinator and now I'm the outreach coordinator. I wear a lot of hats. I rebranded the agency, redesigned the website. Uh, today we're out tabling at Juneteenth. And anything that falls under, uh, I guess, the realm of just spreading the word to the community, sometimes that's making a website, sometimes it's making flyers, sometimes it's getting out there and talking to people. Excellent. Thank you very much. Did you want to share anything else with us? Yeah, we started up in the early 90s and the 
the the story behind this place is pretty cool. Our founder, Cece Weeks, she um, they they just started helping the community out. They got themselves a couple of VW buses and just started running around giving rides, doing attendant care, and then they demanded that the city of Berkeley like fund the agency and made, legitimize it, and that's why we're here today. So um, tell us how people can get in touch with Easy Does It Emergency Services if they need your help. So if people want to get in touch with Easy Does It, they can head over to easydoesitservices.org to learn more about the agency. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Easy Does It Emergency Services can be reached at 510-845-5513 or for urgent dispatch at 510 510- 19th, and I have met a wonderful man who works for an organization called A Better Way, which I'm familiar with from 20 years ago working for the city. Tell us your name and tell us about the organization. Hi, my name is Mark Pasley, and I'm the marketing and communications manager at A Better Way. A Better Way provides a range of services for um, children and families throughout the Bay Area. Um, we provide foster uh, care and adoption services. We also have programs that help parents who are involved with child welfare. And we have um, mental health programs that provide mental health services to children in the Bay Area. And uh, we have a training program for uh, continuing education for people that work in the field of child welfare um, that provides hundreds of classes every year free of charge to professionals and to um, foster parents. And I know one of the services you provide is helping uh, foster care students who turn out in terms of when, when they're 18 and they need somewhere to live, right? Yes, we do have a transitional housing program. And uh, yeah, there's a house. Uh, we have a house in the Bay Area where children who have turned 18 and um, can, can live in that house as long as they are um, continuing their education and um, and working on getting employed. Um, we provide them with the mentorship of a social worker and other services. And um, do you also arrange for adoption? Yes, we. Um, it's it's more so uh, foster to adoption. 
so we don't have a direct adoption program, but um, when someone becomes a foster parent, it's with the understanding that adoption is a possibility if um, the child is not reunified with their birth family or with a relative, then um, it can turn into an adoption, yes. And I'm so proud I found you, because 20 years ago, I did take in a youth um, temporarily to stay with me. She was having some issues, and it was a wonderful experience. You know, we bonded. Um, I actually ran into her here today at the Juneteenth. So I want to thank you and appreciate the work that A Better Way is doing. And can you tell people how they can contact or get in touch with the organization, support the organization? Yes, um, you can visit our website. It's at uh, abetterwayinc.net. Um, we're happy to um, accept donations. We're a nonprofit organization, so we can always use, always use uh, support from the community. And then one more yeah. thing. Um, I know that you also have parenting class for parents, people who want to foster that. You don't just send kids to them. You go to a, they have go through a parent training and all of that stuff to support them. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Usually people come to the orientation first. Um, it's an online 90-minute orientation where you can learn about the process and um, ask any questions that you have. And then once someone uh, wants to commit to the process, then there's a series of trainings they go through over the course of a couple of months. The trainings happen on weekends, and if everything goes well, they, they become certified, and then they're eligible to become a foster parent. A better way. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Keep up the good work. All right, we're still at the Juneteenth celebrations. I am here with Ready Set Collective. In front of this beautiful sign called Reparations Now. I want to hear more about that. We create art with motivational messaging as well as a social commentary. So this is our first debut, the Reparations Now. And um, we wanted to come out for Juneteenth weekend just to get uh, inspired by black folks around like what's next? What do you envision um, when we think about reparations and uh, what, what, what can we do? How can we stay tapped in? Um, not a lot of folks know, but uh, the, rep, the California Task Force is putting their proposal in July 1. So that this is why we're out here, just to keep it on black folks' mind. There are folks talking about reparations, and we should be talking about it too. So our artwork is just here as a conversation starter. We've had so many people come and ask us questions, but also converse amongst each other. And that's what we should be doing when it comes to reparations and just black matters, black families. We need to be talking. So we're here to kind of promote that conversation. Is that part of the statewide coalition that, that's been meeting for the last few years, right? Yes, it is. And so you're saying that the uh, plan or the suggestion of how we could do reparations is being uh, presented to who? It's being presented to our state, to the governor. All right, good. Anything else you want to share about it? Uh, I just want to wish black people black freedom and liberation, wellness. Um, we need to take care of each other with or without reparations, but we also need to start dreaming about what the possibilities of freedom are and what it can look like in 2023. So thank you so much. You're welcome. And how, can tell us how folks can catch up with your organization. 
You can find us at Ready, Set, and that's R3, the number three, A-D-Y-S-3-E-T.com. Or you can check us out on uh, IG at Ready underscore Set. And the E's in Ready and Set are threes. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you, Joy, for bringing us some of the community flavor of the 2023 Berkeley Juneteenth Festival. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you so much for listening. I've been your host, Miss M. Our production consultant is Joy Moore. Our superb technical director is Frank Sterling. Our first voice participants include Pamela Lyons, Shiloh Burton, and Stevie J. From the heart and mind of our technical director, please protect your health and your humanity. We stand with the release of Lynette Peltier, Mumia Abu-Jamal, and all political prisoners. La Onda Bajita is next.